0: Thanks. Appreciate that, Ryan. Wow. Today is a, an interesting and a difficult passage. Um, I've titled this sermon, God's Promises for Problematic People, because the story of Rachel and Leah and Jacob, that's his two wives, that's our first problem. We're going to have a bunch more. But this is a story about a bunch of people who cannot get their things straight, can't figure out what's going on, and about God's promises that fail, that without failing, faithfully come true anyway. I would argue that's exactly what we need today in our lives. This is a story about Jacob and Laban, about Leah and Rachel, that's about blended families. It's about broken homes, dysfunctional relationships, and codependency. It's about jealousy. It's about lusts. It's about sexism. It's about drugs and alcohol. It's about deceit, family drama, bad bosses, and long-term medical problems. So, it's kind of relevant for us. Like, we still live here, actually. The story of Jacob's marriage to Leah and Rachel is one we know because it connects with our lives. I don't know if we always will admit they're screwed up like this, but if we will pay attention, he who has an ear, he who has ears, let him hear. So, wrapping up from the last couple weeks what do we know so far about jacob well jacob had a brother named esau and jacob wanted the blessing that isaac was going to give esau so he connives and he deceives and he gets this awesome blessing anyway through the deceit of him and his his mother rebecca well as it happens esau gets really pissed off about this and jacob has to run away and so when we pick up this story in genesis uh, 28, Jacob has been told he'll get the promise, but in fact, he's running away and he has nothing. He has no money, no lands, no wife, no herds, but supposedly he's going to get the promise of offspring that will bless all people. That's the situation in verse one, uh, in, in, at the beginning of uh, uh, 28. We also have just seen Jacob receive the direct promise of God, not only through Isaac. But he's had this dream where he sees the ladder running between earth and heaven. He's told, this this promised Abraham, it's yours, it's really coming true. And if you're like me and you're like Jacob, after this amazing passage that's so exciting about about his dream in Genesis 28, um, he just kind of moves on. Look at the first verse. This is uh, Genesis 29.1. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Like, he just got through this amazing dream that's full of prophecy that Jesus will quote, quote, and then he's like, and so I just started walking, I guess. And in fact, uh, the Hebrew is actually more like lifted up his feet. Like, he's kind of like, all right, heading out. just he doesn't know what to do, so he kind of just walks on east to see what's next. So, let's read for a little bit here. This is verses 2 to 12. I'm going to do a lot of reading today with running commentary because this is one story into chapter 30. Sorry if it's a little long, but bear with me here. Verse 2. As Jacob looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We're from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said, is it well with him?" And they said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock, is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together? Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, no, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we we will water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father, uh, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well, mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's kinsman, and he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. So, we learn a couple interesting things in these early verses. First off, Rachel for being the daughter of a really important and wealthy man named Laban, uh, still actually is busy tending the the sheep. And there's a couple different ways you could read this. Calvin kind of jokes. Calvin's got like this, uh, you know, uh, kids wearing their hair long these days, that attitude. So he's like, back then women worked and now they're all lazy. So it's kind of interesting that uh, he comments on that. I don't actually think that's what we should note here, though. Laban is going to basically sell both of his daughters to Jacob. So I think Laban is such a skinflint. He's such a cheapskate. He's like, well, if I force my daughter to be a shepherd, don't have to pay nobody. I think that's… If you want an attitude about Laban's uh, character, unfortunately, this is going to become worse and worse in the next two chapters. It's not going to go well. Okay, let's move on to the next couple of verses. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, by which we mean the story, the whole thing with Esau, he almost got killed, all the fun things that are happening in Jacob's screwed up life. He narrates all this to Laban. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, a month later, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? So, we learn that Laban employs Jacob for a month without… well, employs is the wrong word. He puts him to work for a month and doesn't pay him anything. And after a month, he's like, well, I guess he's still here. Maybe I'll pay you. What would be a good deal? So, Laban, I think, is has Jacob met his match, by the way? We've just seen two chapters, how he's lying and conniving and sneaking around, and now Laban's like, what do you want for more work? Laban's another conniver. We've got two deceivers in this passage. Well, as it happens, Jacob has taken notice of the ladies. This is verse uh, 16. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, this verse is is kind of interesting. We need to actually look a little bit at the words, what they mean. First off, I don't think we should probably translate that as Leah's eyes were weak because then the, the contrast would be Rachel's eyes were strong. She could see really far, and that doesn't really make any sense in context. What it's saying is that Leah was soft, tired, you know, not very prepossessing. She didn't really catch other people's eyes. She was not a looker. Rachel, in fact, the verse here, beautiful in form and appearance. In Hebrew, it probably means beautiful in body and face. So if you're, there's a little PG-13 here, but he's basically saying she was she was smoking hot. She was good looking. And naturally, if, if you look at their names, a lot of times biblical names give us hints. Rachel's, names, Rachel's name means you, so female sheep. And where do you get a lot of babies from and a lot of wealth? From having a lot of sheep. So Rachel advertises herself as a hot woman who's going to have lots of kids and make Jacob, who needs that promise to come true, Lots of kids to fulfill the promise. Leah's name means wild cow. <laughs> yeah, and actually, what's interesting if you look at the Hebrew word, it's it's laa. It actually sounds exactly like the word suffering. So Rachel, this is this is interesting stuff, you guys. But Rachel is the one you look and you say, wow, she's her name means sheep. She's beautiful. The promise comes through her, right? Naturally. And Leah's wild cow, and her name means suffering, and Jacob's like, yeah, not interested. Verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel, and he said to Laban, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, notice he doesn't say yes, by the way, that'll be important later. Laban said, it is better I give her to you than I should give her to, some, any, uh, to any other man. Stay with me. So, Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So, a couple of things that we should notice here. Jacob, awaiting this promise, his life is screwed up. When he sees this really beautiful woman, he, <laughs> he makes a terrible decision. He says, seven years, no problem, I'll wait that long. I think, you know, when I was growing up in the church, I think a lot of people read that, what a wonderful romantic story he loved Rachel that much. He's a bonehead. If There are other stories in Scripture where bride prices are a number of shekels. I'm not saying that's good. I'm saying that's the going rate. So, he pays for seven years. Why? Because Laban is a sneaky dude, and he knows that Jacob is absolutely consumed with lust. So, this is not a story about romance. This is a story about lust and Laban being a sneaky dude, taking advantage of Jacob's lust. How are we doing so far? Are these good folks that we're really excited to be following in their stead? This is not very good, you guys. This is like bad family, you know, this is like bad family story time, okay? Um, Verse 21, after the seven years, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, this is the ESV, you can read a couple different translations, but it's very literal, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. It's that brusque in the Hebrew. He literally just says, I want to have sex with her. By the way, don't do that to your father-in-law. Guys, that's really terrible, this really bad attitude. But that's literally what he says. So, so far, Jacob not only has lusted for her for seven years but when the time's complete, he's not like, oh, we can finally get married. This will be great. He's really like, hey, I'm ready to bang this out. Let's do it. That's literally Jacob's attitude. I, I want you to be a little bit like, <laughs> okay, that's the proper attitude. Moses wrote Genesis. I think he wants us to react viscerally for a reason. Like, I don't, I don't really like that Jacob, Israel, is this sort of person. What sort of people are we? Let's keep reading. 22. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he told he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. So we've got a switcheroo going on. Now, first off, how does this happen? Well, A, it's probably dark. This is the you know the ancient you know, Near East, so there's no lights, so that is one thing. Um, also. Women wore full veils, so probably he wouldn't have seen who this woman was until she was in the tent. And then also probably, Jacob's at a party. All day long, he's been drinking. So there's lots of great things going on right now. And when he shows up in the wedding tent, he does not recognize who this woman is, and he has sex with her anyway. Also, how's Leah doing? She just concocted a plan with her dad to get married because she knows no one's going to marry her otherwise. So she and her dad come up with this plan to rip off Jacob, get her hooked up, and they'll they'll solve the Rachel problem later. Verse 24, so Laban gave uh, his uh, female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Think about this for a second. Have you ever gotten the thing you always wanted, and in the morning, it's just Leah? I'm, I'm actually serious about this. When you get that job you've been jonesing for that's going to finally solve all your financial issues, do they all go away? Does your life fundamentally get transformed by that relationship that you're like, oh, I've been trying to keep saying them texts, and they finally got back to me. Is it going really, does it really give you everything you wanted? The best marriages will not give you everything you want. The best jobs won't give you everything you want. In the morning, it's always Leah. So, one thing we learn in reading this passage right here is that if your hopes like Jacob are set on, my life sucks, I don't have any promises, I don't have any money, but I got a smoking hot wife in the morning, oh, why is Leah here? That's the letdown and the disappointment that comes when we put our hopes in anything but Jesus Christ. So, we're already seeing a messianic image here. What are you waiting for? What do you set your hopes on? Keep reading. Now it's interesting here. In the, in the, in the morning, um, Jacob, of course, is going to confront <laughs> Laban and say, Hey, what happened? Um, there's a Jewish midrash, and the midrash is basically a collection of teachings. They're not scripture. I'm not saying they're, they're, they're not trustworthy as scriptures, but they're fun thought experiments. And the midrash says that in the morning, Jacob yells at Leah, Deceiver, daughter of a deceiver, did I not call you Rachel? in the night, meaning in their bedroom, and you answered, and Leah said, did your father Isaac not call when he… Did you not answer Isaac's call when he asked for Esau? Think about the comparison here. The connection's direct, isn't it? Jacob, when he wants to trick his dad, goes in, he puts goat skin on, so no one knows it's him, not Esau. He comes in in the darkness of Isaac's blindness to steal the promise that he wants. And now what's happened to Jacob? Because he's been drinking, and because it's night out, and because Leah's wearing a veil, he can't see who it really is, and Leah gets the the marriage she was looking for instead of Rachel. So Jacob gets the exact desserts that he deserves for what he's done to Isaac. So at this moment, can you imagine the place Jacob is in? Not only did he not get the promise he wanted, now he gets the wife he doesn't want, and he now has to wrestle with the fact that, oh... That's how that feels. Jacob is getting dealt lessons all over the place in this passage. All right. Let's go real quickly. Actually, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to turn to Ecclesiastes. I'll just tell you about it. When we think about the, what is it like to see Leah in the morning, if you guys know about the, the book of Ecclesiastes, it's written by Solomon. Solomon's powerful, wealthy king and philosopher. And if you read in Ecclesiastes two, he basically decides. This is verse one. I'll just read it for you. You don't need to put it on the screen. He basically says, "I'm going to test life and its pleasures, but behold, it was vanity." He basically drinks a lot. He builds a bunch of nice houses. He has hundreds of wives, and he's basically bored. Verse ten in Ecclesiastes two says, "Whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. From my but my heart found no pleasure in my toil." And all this was my reward for all my toil. I considered that all my hands had done, and the toil that I'd expended in doing it, and behold, it was vanity. Striving after the wind, there's nothing to be gained after under the sun. So Solomon, who's got everything going on, he even knows. In the morning, it's still just Leah, and all the hard work that he put into it hasn't fixed that basic hole inside him. Let's go to verse 25. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah, and Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Actually, in the Hebrew, what is this you've done to me? It's the exact same phrase God says to Eve when she's eating the apple. What is this that you have done? Exact same phrase. What is this that you have done to me, Jacob says? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban's going to twist the knife a second time, It is not so done in our country, Laban says, to give the younger before the firstborn. Do you think Jacob knows the custom about the firstborn? He had to come up with a plan to get around it. So, Jacob, after delivering this blow, then decides, like, oh, by the way, we have a custom here where the firstborn gets everything, just so you know. Jacob's like, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that, actually. So, in this wedding, we've seen beer goggles, we've seen uncontrolled lust, we've seen um, Laban's conniving. Story's not going great so far. Um, so, anyways, the, here's a the plan that he's going to cut. Verse 26, after Laban says this is the, how we deal with our firstborn, he says, Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other, Rachel, also in return for serving me another seven years. Laban's like, I've got him. I can sell another daughter for seven years of labor, and by goodness, he's going to do it. Jacob did so and completed her week. So, we think that basically he served one more week to give Leah her, her wedding celebration, and then Rachel just joins the marriage, and he works seven more years. Can you imagine being Leah? Like, Leah, I think, is… is she's partially responsible here because she helps… Laban with this plan, but you got to feel for Leah. Her whole life, she's overshadowed by her beautiful, younger sister. And now she's married, and who is she married with? Oh, yeah, her sister's there, and that's the one that Jacob actually loves. Verse uh, 29, Laban gave his ser- a female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant, and Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. So let's think about the hopes people have right now. Jacob wanted a promise. We don't have that yet, but we got two wives, so that's going super great, Um, two wives that don't really like each other. Leah just wanted to get married. Poor Leah. She just wanted a husband who loves her, and he doesn't have the time of day for her. And then Rachel finally gets uh, a man, but on the other hand, now she's married to her drag-along sister. So that's how things are going right now. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, He opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. I'm going to unpack each of these names in a second. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he's given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons, therefore his name was Levi." So if you look at the the names here, I have to find my right page, Um, Reuben uh, 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 Reuben means see sons, like the verb see and son. So uh, 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 scholars, theologians kind of debate, what is she saying? Is she saying see to her husband, see, I got you one, I've given you a son? Is she saying that she's been seen by the Lord and He's given her a son? We're not totally sure. Um, it could be that this is an Ebenezer. You guys know what Ebenezer is? When the Lord does something in your life, you set up a pillar called an Ebenezer to say, whenever I doubt, I look at that thing and say, God came you know, through for me. Maybe she's saying, see a son as an Ebenezer. We don't really know. Simeon means heard and Levi means attached or joined. So, she is struggling to deal with this difficult marriage. What's also important to notice, and this should should kind of make our ears prick up, we should notice, when she is praying to the Lord, she does not use the word Elohim. She doesn't use the generic word God. She says Yahweh. She uses the covenant name for God. So in these sons, she's saying, we were given a covenant promise, I need the covenant God to deliver. When you're in a difficult time and you're like Leah and the marriage you always wanted and it lets you down, are you going to call on anyone else but the covenant God? Don't waste your time. It's only the covenant God that's going to give you what you need. Now, we finally see that Leah's learned something. This is verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord and therefore she called his name Judah, and she ceased bearing. So something happens to Leah. The other three names, this is the way I interpret the names of her children. I don't think she's saying, see son to God, or the Lord me. I think it's all about her husband, because each time she needs another kid, and it doesn't fix her. But the fourth time, she says, this time I'm going to praise Yahweh. I think this time she gets it and says if i'm waiting for my husband to suddenly become a stellar award-winning dude he's jacob it is not happening i need to praise the lord and accept what he gives me and what does the lord give leah and judah the line of jesus so when she stops trying to get her husband's affection and says i just got to worship the lord with what i got that's when the promise of Jesus Christ comes into her family line. Is that a good promise for you today? Stop trying. Accept the Lord's grace. We can see another example here. We as we go into the verse into chapter thirty, Rachel's struggling with her childlessness. So look at the opposite side. Rachel has no kids, but her husband loves her. And does Rachel find a way to complain? You bet she does. I mean, isn't this like us, right? Leah's got all these kids, and she's like, well, it's not really working out for me. Leah's got no kids, but she's got a great husband that loves her. Well, I don't know about great husband, but her husband likes her anyway. <laughs> Let's compare this with 1 Samuel. Um, do we have 1 Samuel on the slide? 1 Samuel 1. We see another story. There's a, a guy named um, Elkanah who has two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. Um, I think it's 1 Samuel 1 verse 6, you guys, if you got it. <laughs> Um, And Hannah and Peninnah both uh, both are married to Elkanah, and Peninnah has all these kids. Verse 6, Hannah's rival Peninnah would taunt Hannah severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way, and Hannah would weep and would not eat. Okay, verse 8 is so bad. Elkanah says, Hannah why are you crying? Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? Okay, classic stupid husband move. Don't do that. It's just nice. Aren't I that great? I mean, what else do you need if not me? Um, Hannah will go on to pray to the Lord for a son, she'll trust God for that. In fact, it's kind of funny in the story, she's praying so hard that actually Eli the priest thinks she's drunk, and he actually comes over and is like, hey, you should stop drinking in the Lord's house. She's like, I'm not drunk, I'm praying. He's like, oh, in that case, I hope you get what you prayed for. She does. Yeah, Eli's not doing great at this point, but that's another story. Suffice to say, what I want you to see here is that Hannah demonstrates what you do when the thing you're desiring doesn't show up, you seek out the Lord, just like Leah eventually did. Let's look at Rachel. This is not so great. Verse thirty, uh, chapter thirty, verse one. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister, and she said to Jacob, "Give me children, or I shall die." <gasps> okay, and uh, if you depending on how you read this, it might be closer to. I will kill myself if I don't have children. So, she's laying everything on the line for Jacob. Verse 2, Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. He said, am I in the place of God who's withhold, withheld from me the fruit of the, the womb? So, he's kind of saying like, look, I, I've done my part <clears throat> as best I can. The rest is not up to me, which is true. It's also interesting, he doesn't use the word Yahweh. In these two passages, Leah is the only person that calls on covenant God. Jacob's like, basically, you know, the Lord hasn't given it, but he doesn't actually use Yahweh's name. I don't know what this means, but I think it might explain what comes next. So, what does Rachel do? She dr- grabs into the family bag of tricks. What did Abraham and Sarah do when the child of the promise didn't appear? I know. Let's have a concubine with my servant. That's her, that's her move. Verse 3. Then she said, here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her so she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. Super. Like, didn't we just get through this, you guys? Abraham already screwed up, and we had Ishmael and Hagar, and Sarah was terrible to both of them, and we're going to repeat the same story. Um, In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. This whole passage is, oh, we're going to repeat this terrible sin again. Great. Great. Yeah, actually, this is an aside, but uh, sometimes when people read this story, they really emphasize like, wow, the Bible seems to support polygamy. It's in here. The Bible must be pretty sexist. If you're reading the story, the answer is not two wives is good. The answer is what the heck are you thinking with two wives? That's actually the answer. Okay, right, I I'll move on. All right, verse 4, so she gave him to her servant Billah. Yeah, so Jacob has, has sex with her. And 4, uh, verse 5, rather, then Billah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then rachel said god has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son and i think rachel's being petty here the name um, uh, the name dan there uh, verse uh, verse uh, six therefore she called him dan dan means judged but the way to probably understand this is she's saying god judged on my side it's not like god's given me what i needed god's give me justice it's god was on my team So, this is like a big screw you to her sister. Oh, yeah, you got your four kids, but the covenant's mine. I got a kid now. Rachel's servant, Billah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So, this is like chef's kiss, really bad family drama. You've got people bearing kids all to piss off other members in the family. Like, this is really bad family politics, you guys she calls name Naphtali, which means wrestling. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. So, you're following so far? Why did Rachel not realize if I can give Jacob a third wife, basically another concubine, can't Leah do the same? I don't know if this didn't occur to her, but Leah you know, hops in the family bag of tricks for her move. Well, then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortunes come to me. And she named, called his name Gad. So now she's doing the other thing. Oh, looks like I'm lucky, unlike you and your kids, because you got only two of them. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. In other words, all the people think I got the better deal, because I got all the kids. So she called his name Asher, which means troop or army. So I've got all these kids. you got what? couple of them, who cares? So these sisters are sniping at each other. Where the heck is the Lord in this story? This is just just bad family drama. Stay with me. Stay with me. Right now we've got family braggadocia, bragging. It's just all sorts of bad. It's going to get weirder before it gets better. Verse 14, In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben, who we think was maybe six or seven at this point, Went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And we don't know exactly what these things are. The Hebrew word is du da'i, which is very close to the word love. So most commentators believe they're a mandrake plant, which is a couple different types, but basically it's a, a stimulant, it's a drug, and if you eat it, it, it will, it's a it gives you a ton of energy, and also people in the ancient Near East believed that it would uh, arouse you. as an aphrodisiac, basically. So, this little seven or eight-year-old, whatever he is, finds these mandrakes and knows that there are people like them but doesn't know what they are and takes them to his mom. So, again, things are going super right now if you're not tracking. Um, the, the German translation, when they translate this, is actually, "lieben Apfel," so like, love apples. So, it's like, we don't know what they are. And actually, Calvin's commentary, he's like, they say that they're love apples, and I'm not going to comment any further. So I won't either. Suffice to say, there's some sort of uh, drug that's involved in uh, that—that's a, a sexual stimulant. So she takes the—he, uh, uh, Reuben takes this to uh, to his mom. Okay, um, verse 15. But she said to her. Is it… So this is Leah talking to Rachel. Is it a small matter, you've stolen my husband? Would you take my son's mandrakes also? So basically, Rachel's plan, she asked for him because she's figuring, I want more kids. Maybe if I give this to Jacob, I'll get some more kids. It will make him more fertile or whatever. This is… What does it look like when we try to make the promises of God come true on our effort? It looks like having your kid dig up a bunch of sex apples. That's what it looks like. <laughs> All right. Yeah, cut that from the tape. All right, anyways. <laughs> would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel's really grasping at straws here. Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. So Rachel, in the goodness of her heart, says, I'll tell you what, you get one night with my husband, but I get the mandrakes. And she's thinking, Leah won't get pregnant, but I'll have the mandrakes, I'll get some more kids. So when Jacob came home from the field in the evening, Oh, this is like Jerry Springer, you guys. When Jacob came home from the field... Is that, that's, that's an old reference. i got to find a new one. When Jacob came home from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. Everything's going great. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God's given me my wages, because I paid for this. That's what the word... Issachar means it's hired or paid for. So he's like, hey, I paid for this with the mandrakes. I got what I wanted. Nineteen, Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Jacob said, God has endowed me with a good endowment, or dowry, because um, she's got so many sons. Now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Almost done here, you guys. I do have somewhere I'm going with this. Stay with me. Then Jacob remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Jacob, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. So, we end with the story with both wives having a number of kids, some in screwy ways, some in less screwy ways, But Rachel finally gets the son she so desperately wanted. What are we supposed to get out of this story except that polygamy doesn't work out, you shouldn't be a jerk to your family members, and all sorts of other moral lessons? Is this just a story about how to be a better husband or a better wife? I don't think so. I think there's a couple things that we should get out of this. Number one, we see the promise through Judah that comes to Leah because Leah was unloved and the Lord takes mercy on her. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the Lord looks with love on a contrite and broken spirit. If you're lowly, if you feel like things aren't working out for you, that is the place where God's grace arrives. Why do you think Rachel doesn't have any kids the first half of the story? Because what could she want them for? She she can't be happy with the littlest things that she's got with this husband that loves her and the Lord withholds from her this one thing she wants because she can't be thankful for it. So I think one thing that we're shown is we need to practice thankfulness to God. Otherwise, what's the point? Two, we see that the Lord gives us the things that we needed, even if we don't ask for them rightly. Rachel asks in terrible ways for sons. She practices terrible deeds to get sons but the Lord will give her Benjamin and Joseph. Joseph, we'll get to the story in the next couple weeks, Joseph is going to serve as a Christ figure when he saves all of his brothers from starvation in Egypt, when he's seated at the right hand of the Pharaoh, which is a big-time messianic image. Joseph's going to do that. Benjamin is going to be the family that Samuel the prophet comes from. Actually, you want to know who else came from that line? The Apostle Paul, So the family of Jesus comes through Judah, but the family of Benjamin is full of prophets and the Apostle Paul who talk about Jesus. So both these ladies are actually blessed with a promise, despite the fact that they don't deserve it. Some other things to think about. When Leah and Rachel are struggling to get what they want out of their husband, I think they're kind of playing the prodigal son story leah basically believes if i work hard enough get those kids have lots of them my husband will love me if i work hard i'll get the blessing and approval of god and she doesn't get what she wants until she says i just praise the lord with what i got and then the messianic line appears in judah rachel she complains and demands but she doesn't get it until the end of the passage when the lord finally answers gives her what she needs, not what she asked for specifically. Close with this thought. Rachel, we'll see this in in Genesis 35. Rachel is going to die giving birth to her second son named Benjamin. Um, This is uh, Genesis 35, uh, verses 17 to 19, if you could put that up. I'm connecting this because I want to see what happens for Rachel. I don't know about you guys, but uh, we're Gentiles. We don't come from the family line of Jesus. What does this story have to do with us? Are we, can we join the grace that comes through the family of Judah? Listen to what happens in uh, the Genesis 35, you guys. Genesis 35, seven, uh, 17. The family, Rachel, Jacob, Leah, they're all walking on their way to a place called Ephrath. Uh, Ephrath. Verse 17, Rachel goes into labor, and she was having a lot of trouble with this birth. She was in great pain. And when the nurse saw this, she said, don't be afraid, Rachel, you're giving birth to another son. Will this son be a son of promise? We know it's not Judah, but look at the promise we get instead. Rachel died while giving birth to the son. Before dying, she named the boy Benoni, but Jacob called him Benjamin. And Rachel was buried on the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Benoni in Hebrew means the son of suffering. So when Rachel dies, she's giving birth to the suffering son. But Jacob calls this son Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. I should have used this hand. The son of my right hand or my favorite son. And they're on their way to Ephrath, which means the bandage or healing, and that is Bethlehem. I think there is a messianic promise that if you're not from the right family line, like Judah was, if you're not getting the family blessing that Leah got, there's still a blessing for you, because Rachel's on her way to Bethlehem and she doesn't make it. But do we know what comes to Bethlehem? Jesus comes to Bethlehem. The healing that we need—that's the word Ephraim—healing comes to Bethlehem, and the son that we see in Jesus is a son who suffers for us, and he's the right hand of the Most High. So I want you to see this image on her way to Bethlehem. She never gets there, but the promise shows up right there where she's headed. I think the story is exciting for us, you guys, because it shows that God keeps his promises. We can't force his hand But when we wait for him, he gave us exactly what we need. Jesus, who suffered for us, who died for us, who sits at the right hand of God, ruling everything by the counsel of his will. Let's trust in him. Dear Jesus, this is a difficult story. There's a lot of screwed up family things and, and drama and a bunch of things we would not want to repeat. That sounds like our lives, actually. So, God, I pray that as we have read this story, would we keep in mind that Your promise comes in and, active, and acts irrespective of what we do, that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that we were, when we were dead in our trespasses, You acted, Thank you, God, that the story of the gospel is not about us working hard, finding mandrake plants, or having a bunch of kids in weird ways. God, that's not how it works. It happens because your Holy Spirit awakens us and makes dead bones live. God, I pray that we would trust in you that just like Leah, in our desperation, would we call out, I'm going to praise you no matter what, because that's when the blessing arrives, when we stop looking for other things but yourself. Give us more of you, because that is what we need most of all. In Jesus' name.